Welcome to Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting that Charlie Crist is not mincing words about the governor's defense of Joe Rogan. It is beneath the office that he holds. Crist was asked about Ron DeSantis saying the controversial Spotify podcaster Joe Rogan shouldn't apologize at a roundtable Crist held on the growing dangers of hate groups. This is a hotbed for hatred. And it's uh, endemic of the overall spirit. Uh, uh, the Germans called it the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And in the midst of the pretty certain passage of what opponents call the Don't Say Gay Bill, there was a trans youth rally day at the Capitol this week. But maybe you didn't know about it. Florida Coalition for Transgender Liberation had to hide the dates from public view because we were afraid um, that the anti-trans coalition of groups, there's lots of them, um, would attack and harass the kids. Sunrise gets a full review of Trans Youth Day at the Capitol from the event's sponsor. And oh yeah, there's this. MTG strikes again. Now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police. But first... Governor Ron DeSantis did an interview with Fox News Digital in which he said Spotify podcaster Joe Rogan should not apologize for all the stuff he's said that has led musicians like Neil Young to pull their catalog from the streaming service. The mob will come after people and they're targeting Rogan because he's threatening to upset the apple cart on some of the things that they're holding dear. And with COVID, he's just bringing opposing views. He's letting people decide. They say he's against vax. I've not listened to a show, but then I read he specifically advocated for people with comorbidities and elderly to get vaccinated. And so a lot of this is just, I think he's got a huge audience. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the legacy outlets and I think the left fear the fact that he can reach so many people, and so they're out to destroy him. But what I would say is don't give an inch. Do not apologize. Do not cow to the mob. Stand up and tell them to pound sand. If you do that, there's really nothing that they're able to do uh, to you. The only way they have power is if you let them get your goat. Now, DeSantis talked there about Rogan's controversial COVID-19 programming, but what Rogan has mainly been apologizing for is his liberal use of the N-word. Democratic Congressman Charlie Chris says if the governor is saying Rogan should not apologize for that, there's a problem. If that reporting is accurate, and I want to give that caveat uh, initially, uh, for him not to express that uh, Mr. Rogan should apologize uh, for using the N-word is outrageous. It is unconscionable. Uh, and it is beneath the office that he holds. Christ, who is seeking his party's nomination to run for governor against DeSantis, held a roundtable to talk about rising racism, anti-Semitism, and hate groups in Florida. Nazi demonstrations in Orlando, bomb threats at Bethune-Cookman University and other historically black colleges and universities around the country, racist graffiti in Tampa Bay schools. And right here in St. Petersburg, a spray-painted swastika on the Holocaust Museum with the words, Jews are guilty. Chris said he's asked U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate these incidents and more. The insurrection on January the 6th was a wake-up call for each of us. Right-wing extremists pose a threat to our democracy and our safety, and that threat has only grown over the past year. More insurrectionists call Florida home than any other state. 
and one of the hate groups that helped plan an attempted coup, the Proud Boys, is headquartered in South Florida. Here's my question. If these groups are capable of causing that kind of violence and destruction at our nation's capital, what are they capable of doing here at home? Pastor Manuel Sykes, the Florida Bishop for Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, said his own family in St. Petersburg is being affected by a rise in racist attitudes. Yesterday, my own son came home and said, Dad, uh, I was the victim of racial, uh, you know, hatred. He, he, he classified it that way because he said that uh, while he and his friend were riding along in the car, this uh, lady rode up beside them and a white lady rolled down her window and proceeded to stare them down. And I had already warned him about not to engage that type of ignorance because you're going to always lose if the police are called. It's unfortunate, but we also see that pattern going in our law enforcement in certain areas. So uh, that's the temperature uh, in the city of St. Petersburg and uh, I was at one of the rallies for the Proud Boys that occurred last year sometime. So this is a hotbed for hatred, and it's uh, endemic of the overall spirit. Uh, uh, the Germans call it the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And we realized that that spirit that was in that time is alive and well, because uh, evil is only personified in individuals. It is an ongoing spirit that can captivate, as it has, uh, an entire nation where people believe a lie over the truth. Rabbi Jonathan Birkin of Miami's Aventura Turnberry Jewish Center said anti-Semitic attacks on synagogues are just one indication of a level of anti-Semitism he could not have predicted. I think my community is realizing that uh, anti-Semitism is alive and well in America in ways that we never believed it it would be uh, 75 years after the gas chambers in Europe. I didn't believe it was going to be a prominent part of my rabbinate at this stage. Uh, And I think that it's becoming uh, much more uh, acceptable and in the public sphere. And and we have to call it out loudly and proudly. Anti-Semitism is a virus that mutates uh, and takes on many, many different kinds of forms. It's a it's a form of hate, among other forms. It's a form of racism, among other forms. But it's also a symptom of a sick society. And what history has taught us is that any society that allows anti-Semitism to uh, to reign free, unchecked and unchallenged, uh, eventually uh, realizes the demise of the uh, entire society. So with all that in mind, imagine yourself as a 13-year-old trans youth walking into Florida State Capitol this week when a bill to squelch school talk about gender issues is moving full speed ahead. Well, a bunch of trans youth did just that for a Trans Youth Day sponsored by the Florida Coalition for Transgender Liberation. The group's co-founder, Lakey Love, told Sunrise she had three words to describe these kids, courage, tenacity, and resilience. Well, first I want to say that that these youth show tremendous courage, right? Um, in the face of a hostile legislature, Um, of laws being passed against them, of current laws under legislation that's targeting them. Extreme um, courage, tenacity, and resilience, um, like I've never seen before. You know, I've been organizing adults for a long time, and this is the first time I've ever um, organized to bring youth to the Capitol, specifically youth that are gender diverse and under attack and extreme courage. We had to 
um, Florida Coalition for Transgender Liberation had to hide the dates from public view because we were afraid um, that the anti-trans coalition of groups, there's lots of them, um, would attack and harass the kids. So we hid the dates from public view and had to recruit behind closed doors. So it took tremendous courage for the for these children to come. Um, the purpose of the day was, was a positive experience for them. So we did not meet intentionally with aggressive Republican lawmakers. We, we met with allies um, and they, they got some training on uh, how to tell their story. Um, they attended a HB7 rally the night before, so they learned a little about the legislation that was going to impact them, and then they, and then they got to to share their experience and their um, and their demands to allied legislators. So lots of courage, Lakey. I, we need to back up here a minute. You kept the dates for this day at the Capitol secret for fear that these kids would be attacked? That's right, yes. Um, attacked verbally and um, in other ways. We have seen extremely hostile agitators on the other side about transgender issues, um, calling transgender kids an abomination, um, denying that they even exist. Um, we, have, we have one um, youth being accused of being a pedophile for using the correct bathrooms and locker rooms at school. Um, and these are the kind of things that the uh, antagonistic anti-trans adults on the other side um, are, are doing. And we were afraid for the for the child's safety as well as um, their their mental health and well-being. So we hid the we hid the dates from public view. But you did not meet with legislators who are uh, sponsoring bills uh, that would, you know, cut off conversations about, you know, uh, trans and 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 just sexual orientation in general. You they they did not meet with hostile legislators. You weren't they weren't up there to lobby them. Right. They didn't. They came up to learn um, civic education and the process in the Capitol, how a bill becomes a law and um, how the laws are developed and passed that impacts them. Um, and then to step into their truth, tell their stories and then make the demands of legislators on the back of their experience and their stories. And that's exactly what they did. And they were wonderful at it. Um, in fact, much less long-winded um, and much more articulate than I am. We have an eight-year-old um, who is, uh, you know, telling people about being bullied um, and that people won't play with him on the, the schoolyard um, and that he needs protection. And, and so, you know, these kids took, took a lot of bravery to do what they, they were doing and, and subjecting them to hostile transphobic legislators um, and committee meetings. We did have two that attended the HB7 committee meeting and one that spoke there. Um, but they did that on uh, literally after the event um, was over, and they did that because they wanted to, and they were a little bit older. They were um, 14 and 15, I think, the two that attended that. What are their feelings about understanding that HB7 is going to pass? Um, we heard from one 11-year-old, a um, non-binary 11-year-old that uses they-them pronouns, that um, already this 
this young child um, had a teacher in in school who um, used correct pronouns and used gender neutral language when talking to the students. So saying class or students instead of boys and girls. Um, And then a month ago, just switched and stopped using um, the child's correct pronouns, started saying boys and girls in the classroom instead of using gender neutral language. Um, and this child, um, after learning about HB7 and that the, that the, that the language for HB7, which um, is going to pass um, probably, is, um, you know, has been in the works for a month, just deduced that this is, must have been the impact on the teacher and that um, it actually brought um, the child clarity you can imagine the confusion of 11 year old when your teacher's supportive one minute and then uh, aggressively not supporting you the next. So, um, you know, I think that uh, we've been saying all along, right. That trans youth, um, suffer from high, high rates of attempted suicide or suicide itself, um, drug addiction, mental health um, issues, high rates of bullying, and high school dropouts rates, and not attending college. And HB7 in particular will impact K through 20 schools. So it will eliminate trans-inclusive housing in college. It will eliminate the ability for college rosters to use things like um, a non-legal name, your name, instead of your dead name, if your legal name hasn't been changed, to use appropriate pronouns um, and ask a classroom to use appropriate pronouns for um for a trans or gender diverse student. So it impacts more than just um, high school, uh, elementary and and middle school students. It impacts college and grad students as well. So, um, you know, the the impact is is large. I, I listened in the morning um, in a in a closed and safe space and a consciousness raising, I was one of only two adults that got to attend, and um, with 17 youth, and I heard stories about attempted rape after coming out, um, being chased down the street and beaten at their front door, um, of of um, of being beaten um, outside of the locker room and called names and heckled and then taking that to an administrator or a teacher and having the administrator tell them they um, they should shut up about it and they didn't want to hear about it. Um, just, you know, awful, horrible stories. And I think we all know I, after HB7 passed um, – in the Education and Employment Committee, we had a ninth grader trans youth with us that just stood in the middle of the committee room and bawled. And so um, I don't know what else to tell you, except for if I were their age, um, I'd be terrified and I'm terrified for them. Lakey Love, I appreciate the time today in explaining what happened on Trans Youth Day at the Capitol. You're welcome. Um, and thank you for taking the time uh, to look hard at this subject and get these kids voices out there and there we're a small part of the population they're a small part of the population in their schools that most of them don't have um communities to go to right and so um this is a really important topic and it's really important that these kids know that they have a safe place and that people are listening
Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The House Congressional Redistricting Subcommittee is scheduled to meet this morning. Could be a little more interesting now that the Florida Supreme Court has rejected a request by Governor Ron DeSantis to provide advice on the legality of changing the configuration of a North Florida congressional district held by U.S. Representative Al Lawson, a black Democrat. The House has delayed completion of its congressional map until the court's decision. Also, the State Acquisition and Restoration Council, which works on land conservation issues, will be meeting this morning. And finally, all day long I was seeing sporadic posts on social media from friends marking themselves safe from the gazpacho police. Suffice it to say, I didn't get it. To the Google machine I went, and then I got it. Now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police. It was Georgia Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene being interviewed on the One America News Network. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff, and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. This government has turned into something it was never meant to be, and it's time to make it end. We think Green meant to say Gestapo, not gazpacho, but you never know. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again Monday as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.